When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige film. Uh, can you hear? Can you feel the dust in the air? Can you taste it? Can you hear the wind whistling through the mountains? That's right. It's time for a Prestige Western, ladies and gentlemen. And today we're talking about 1985's Pale Rider, uh, who is both played by and directed by Clint Eastwood. You know Clint Eastwood. He's been in The Bridges of Madison County, The Softer Side. Been in Grand Torino, Unforgiven, the Man with No Name trilogy on the on, on the hardline section of the aisle. Uh is written by Michael Butler and Dennis Shirak. Shirak? Who of those two, the one notable thing was Dennis, he wrote also Turner and Hooch. Okay. So he got that he's got that going for him. Uh stars Michael Moriarty, who a lot of uh TNT watchers probably recognize as the assistant district attorney Stone on the first five seasons of Law and Order. Also stars Carrie Snodgrass. Did you notice she was uh, Sylvester Stallone's first choice for Adrian? No. Yeah, he wanted hmm. like Rocky to be this Italian, and he wanted the uh, other family he's moving in on to be Irish, and he he had Harvey Keitel slighted as the brother slated. Okay, that would have been a hell. Of That's a different movie. That's a different movie. Maybe a better movie. I don't know. Can Harvey Keitel play kind of? play Polly's role tough I mean no I no Polly pa- well, Polly's pa- not yeah. tough Polly's a no sad loser. sack yeah I think he could uh, Richard mm. Dysert who uh, was the doctor I believe on the thing we also saw him recently in Wall Street Chris Penn Sean P- uh, Penn's brother the thing I really remember him from is Reservoir Dogs he had a pretty notable cameo in that mm. John Russell plays an evil marshal in this movie. He was a star of ABC's Lawman way back when. Your dad's favorite Western. Uh, Richard Keel as Club. You know Richard Keel. He's Jaws from the 007 series. He's Mr. Okay. Larson from Happy Gilmore. He's professionally a monster. Uh, yeah. And, and Billy Drago is the last name that really jumped out at me. Uh, he's one of the dastardly deputies at the end of this movie. He's the Flash hitman in the white suit from The Untouchables. Brian De Palma's hmm. The Untouchables. Okay. Uh, Jim, I'm curious. I know you're kind of hit and miss on Westerns. I like mm-hmm. Westerns. I think they're cool. Uh, they're one of the uniquely American contributions to cinema. Um, although, yeah, like the, the rest of the world's gone and and told, you know, there's, there's a couple of good ones made in your home home country of Italy, I, I hear. So I hear. Uh, what did you think of this? What did you think of this film? Uh, I liked it. I thought it had... Um... A certain level of like realism that doesn't always come to westerns, uh, and and also there's like a a mystical element too, kind of in there, which maybe we can talk about later. But I found like this was a pretty grounded western, um, and you yeah. know that's sometimes I get a little fanciful, but th- this one I liked. Uh, I will say it's not my favorite uh, Clint Eastwood western. I think that's probably still Unforgiven. I really like that movie. Um, this one is maybe a notch below that, but because it, it is more of like just a classic 
Western tale, right? The the stranger rides into town, helps the the people there fend off the bad guys, and that's yeah. kind of it. Yeah. One of the first Westerns I've ever seen was the movie I ever saw was the movie Shane. And the only reason I saw it is because I think that. in sophomore in high school, like in language arts, they decided to teach us how to write a script. Okay. And the textbook used as an example, the script, the shooting script for Shane. So we kind of like broke it down over like six weeks, like, a you know, like an actor, a scene or whatever at a time and then watched it like this. And I was watching this movie. I'm like, holy fuck. This is just a super R rated. Well, not a super R rated. It's a super <laughs> Shane uh, movie that's bit that's art that's also r-rated got much more mature themes because it is very um you know it, 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 it's it's an assembly of tropes and mm-hmm. you know a lot has been said about clint eastwood's directorial style that he's kind of like sturdy and steady uh some people might say boring and predictable um <laughs> stolid uh, but it's very much on display in this film like the vista, the you know the locations do a lot of work. This was shot mm-hmm. up in the mountains around Idaho, and you know anytime you got a wagon running through, riding through the snows of the mountains, or you got uh, dudes charging through a, a rushing stream, it looks amazing. But like it's the mo- Mother Earth's doing all the work here, you know. Um, and yeah. I think it's funny because you said that like there's a lot of realism, and I think there is, but I think a lot of the realism is also. Clint Eastwood not maybe intentionally caring too much about his takes. You know, it's like, uh, you hmm. know, Clint, it's, it's awful fucking dark in these cabin sets. Well, you know, they'd really only have the one window for the lights. Maybe, we, maybe we shouldn't see anything. Maybe we shouldn't see shit in here. Like, I, <laughs> uh-huh. I feel like or it's like, uh, you know, uh, in the middle of that scene, in the middle of the guy's line, he had the sh- woe and calm his horse down. Well, you know, Back in the old days, your yeah. horse would just act up in the middle of talking. You just have to fucking deal with it. Like, I feel like <laughs> these are blown takes and like un- underexposed hmm. things. And Clint Eastwood's just like, well, shit, that's life on the prairie, man. But sure. The thing that makes this film work is that Clint Eastwood is just so badass. Like, he just yeah, yeah. so much fun to watch be this like effortlessly cool male power fantasy where this guy never feels fear. Because mm-hmm. every situation he's in, he's got the upper hand and he's just better than everybody. And they even have like a lesser male as his companion in the film to illustrate the difference between him and his superior. And then it turns out, I think mm-hmm. I think I'm 95 percent sure. And I think you hinted at it, too, that Clint Eastwood is a ghost in this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's possible. I, I want to talk about the nature of his character because you don't get a lot of backstory at all. Really, you get like which is great shot a shot of a few bullet holes in his back. And then you understand that he knows the marshal, the corrupt marshal that they've hired to come in and, and drive these people off their claim. And yeah. that's kind of it. Yeah. Um, because I, I, in the, in the last scene or the climactic scene of this film, I kept on thinking how the fuck, how, and I'm like, Oh, he's probably a wraith. Sure. They they you call know. him the 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 pale rider is a reference to the death. the horse of the apocalypse death. Yeah. 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 One of those four four riders. So, yeah, I mean it's very possible that he is supposed to be an embodiment of uh a force of nature or a spiritual uh sort of vengeance kind of thing. Yeah. 
Um, I thought other critiques of this movie, because like I said, the, the it, it looks amazing. It's got some clever conceits in the writing, and Clint Eastwood just is so good at just being effortlessly badass. Mm-hmm. Um, the f- what do you think of the music? This was made in 1985. It's contemporary with like Commando, Return <laughs> sure. of the Jedi. It's uh, it's way better than than Commando. I mean, we I don't even think we need to discuss Commando in terms of this, but like. This felt pretty good to me. I've seen a lot of movies from the 80s that have these clashing sort of tones to their soundtracks. Um, yeah. This felt very much like a Western. It's Look, it's not classic spaghetti Western. This is not, you know, good, bad, and ugly. This is not any of that <laughs> Sergio Leone stuff. Um, it, you know, it, it's it's passable. Like, it's it's what it needs to be. I thought it seemed like it's a movie that wants to be, or it's a soundtrack that wants to be a John Williams science fiction soundtrack. Really? Ooh, yeah. Okay. Like I, I thought it didn't sound westerny at all. It sounds very, huh. uh, or it could have been a historical epic or something. But like, I guess maybe I needed the spaghetti western. I needed a little bit of the, uh-huh. when whatever wind whistling through the saguaros. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely only really noticed the music in the scenes where he's confronting the bad guys. So th- mm-hmm. that was a lot more Western style, um, you know, with with the jangling spurs almost as part of the music. I I definitely got that vibe. So maybe the yeah. rest of it was was crazy. I don't remember. I, I talked about them using like takes where I think. Uh, objectively they're imperfect but it it you know if i want to and i I think i'm being charitable i think it adds a charm to the movie it does add a touch of realism you know when the big bad Mm -hmm. guy's in the middle of his speech to his henchman he's got to go whoa there bill because his horse just kind of like bucked that's kind of fucking cool but when clint eastwood's taking a sledgehammer to a rock and has to blink and close his eyes because shards (laughs) of rock are shooting up into his face this is clint eastwood's kryptonite and if you don't want to ever Damn it! You already. If, I was gonna say, if you don't want to uh, have the scales fall from your eyes about what a badass Clint Eastwood is, is Clint Eastwood is the worst fucking flincher of all the tough guys I've ever known in Hollywood. Oh, For a wow. guy that shoots as many fake guns, I would <laughs> think he would get used to shooting. But like, if you've yeah, like you can tell like if someone's spent time around firearms because are they like literally blinking like Austin Powers every single time they squeeze the trigger. It's also absurd that like this guy's blinking and, and flinching when he's like, you know, it's the <laughs> the hammer is making a loud sound on the rock there, Jim. Uh, I mean, to be fair, I would I would want goggles at the very least busting yes. uh, boulders like this because there are and, shards and of ear rock protection, flying. by the way, because I'm uh, certain that's over 120 decibels every time they're <laughs> clinking those things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame him. But uh, there is some dodgy editing uh, or some like what I would say ineffectual editing. Um, I feel like this film is slow and it wants to be running a little bit faster, but for Hmm. some reason, like the beginning of this film is like a five minute sequence of watching these guys pan for gold in an idyllic wilderness mountain setting intercutting to five seconds of, uh, the, the big bads guys coming to fuck shit up. Mm -hmm. Yosemite salmon through the, and then they go back to five, ten seconds of the, you know, the 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 peaceful wilderness with all the families and little house on the prairie back to pow, 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 pow. and it just go, it's it's like the Monty Python sequence where Sir Lancelot storm in the castle. Mm-hmm. It just go like, but at least that had a punchline, right? 
like the punchline is, is just, suddenly he's on them but th- this felt just like i get it already i get it like I, he's like clint's behind the camera's like no no we need to we need all this it's building tension people yeah. oh there's all oh, look look at all look at all these dangerous men look at, look at all these happy families oh, people are just gonna be squirming in their seats like it's uh-huh. not and then there's another scene that felt like I always go throw back, uh, think back about like the difference between old movies and modern movies, and you can kind of draw a continuum is the pace of the editing. Because mm-hmm. I swear to Christ, the first time I saw the Maltese Falcon, I saw uh, Bogart like say, Hey, sweetheart, I'm clocking out for the day. And he puts his hat on the hook, he goes to his inner office door, opens it, walks out walks out of his the the like the the reception area opens that door walks down the hallway clicks a button opens the elevator steps in the elevator goes down the elevator opens he walks out the hotel the the lobby of wherever he's staying he hails a cab the cab gets drives up like i swear to god that like in the 30s the day like if if bogart just went from the one scene to like the meeting with the dude and the next people like holy fuck did he teleport like they just didn't understand how things worked so you yeah. had to like belabor the point in this film. I saw the bad guy send a telegram. He goes, hey, send this telegram to blah, blah, blah. And the guy's like, yes, sir. The telegram went over the wire. I saw the guy receive it, write it down, put it in an envelope, walk it down. Like, what the shit? <laughs> yeah. Here, you- send this telegram. Next scene, guy open a telegram. What the fuck? What? This, there's some really curious editing that I think he thinks is building tension, but I just found it incredibly tedious. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't building tension for me at all. It was, it was, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm torn on some of this stuff because it's a period piece and because I want to see the technology that they're using and how all of that stuff operates. It's more of like an intellectual curiosity for me than it is like tension building. So I, I didn't mind that because I was like, oh, look how they used to send these shitty messages, right? Like, what a uh-huh. terrible system. God, I can't. There, there, there's another point in this film where it's literally like a five minute how shit's made. Where it's like uh, the the son of the big bad is going to take this 14 year old girl oh, through a tour yeah. of a strip mining operation. And you see, mm-hmm. I bet I bet you people uh, at home are wondering how the hell these guys in the 1840s getting high pressure water up these mountains i, I well, was kind of curious you. honestly <laughs> i was too i found it so fascinating I'm, yeah so when he sat and spent five minutes explaining i'm like okay fair point but some of uh-huh. the stuff it's like i said there is a like a hundred minute movie screaming to be let out of this uh hour 20 or no yeah. i'm sorry two hour movie I, I think you're right for sure um and, and i think one of the symptoms of that or one of the causes of that rather is this plot line with Megan, I don't know that this movie needed that at all. Like th- there's one semi essential element, which is she wishes for this miracle at the beginning to, to yes. save their family or whatever. And then here comes Clint Eastwood, the miracle man. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like that should have been, and could have just as easily been Megan's mother wishing for the miracle. And then here comes Clint Eastwood. And then you have this potential romance line between them instead of this dual weird, child fascination with this man who comes into town which is a, a, a little creepy and also well you don't have a problem with just the unnecessary. mother 14 year old daughter love triangle where also the ghost of Clint Eastwood is cucking yeah Hall you oh, know in it, like that right it's like a three dimensional love triangle that's inappropriate on three of its sides yeah yeah and I'm looking at it and I'm going why is this essential to the movie this needs to be cut uh, this 
it should have just been all contained within Hull's love interest. And then you could have the love triangle that makes sense and works. You still get the miracle stuff. You still get the, the religion and the ghost angle. That's all you needed. But they put this girl in here for no real reason, as best I can tell. Because she doesn't Clint, save the day. She doesn't change anything in the story, right? She's no, completely it's, ineffectual. It's literally because Clint's like, I like that movie Shane, but uh, uh, make the little boy like a cute teenage girl. And uh, <laughs> okay. I'm going to be a real stand-up guy for turning this down. Okay? 99 out of 100 right, guys right. wouldn't. Uh, like, it's like, it's, like it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely... Definitely could have been a 12 year old boy or like you said, the mother or nobody that was like, yeah, just the that's mom. the if you want to go bridges to Madison County with it. Yeah, you just have the mom who has been with this guy who's like the stand up dude. And, you know, she's kind of like, yeah, but but he's weak and, it, and right. Yeah. You don't have to have the 14 year old girl in there competing or whatever. The no, fuck she's especially if it's not going to amount to anything. That was the no. the real problem I had is she just rolls up. She she's she needs to be saved, and then she rolls up at the end and says, "Did I miss it? Fuck, I missed it all." Well, because that's like that's again, this is this is a very much a remake of Shane, and that's the essential element. You got to have the child. <laughs> okay, I've never seen that movie, yeah, but yeah, yeah. If that's what they were going for, I guess they nailed it. I guess they yeah. nailed it. Well, like I said, did they? The, the, yeah, I could. I said either either uh, just have the kid in the background, and he, it's it's a. It's an accessory for the demonstrate holes like stand upness, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, like, yeah, he's taking care of another man's uh, child and all this, that for nothing. Um, or you make him into the 12 year old boy who's just like his love for Shane is, is pure and, and heroic and not tinged with whatever. Um, but I, I get it. All. I get everything I need when Clint Eastwood stand, uh, steps onto the yeah. screen. Like Clint Eastwood yes. is such an archetype of a character that. When he steps on screen, I instantly know, okay, he's the good guy. He's here to save these people and he can be trusted and relied on. And and that's it. Like, I just need to see Clint Eastwood in his cowboy getup, and I know all that stuff. So, yeah. What are we doing? What are we doing with this other angle? And I just, yeah, I mean, he just lo- in the same way that Timothy Oliphant does, like he just looks the part. He's got this long kind of lean frame He's got like, you know, he's got this economy of motion when he's walking. The soundtrack with the jingle jangle of the Spurs also <laughs> yeah, yeah. is like his signature thing. I don't think anyone else jangles in this film, but like that's kind of his signature thing. Like he is spurred up mm-hmm. and just like all the great like one line liners, you know, like, uh, yeah, you shouldn't play with matches. And uh, <laughs> which I love that scene. Because he yeah. throws the bucket of water, he nails the dude, but the match doesn't go out. He misses, yeah. It's yeah. like, again, you want another take of that, Clint Eastwood? Yeah, right. You know, uh, I think Some, I got my sometimes the hero just missed the match. Sometimes, yes, you know, you can you can blast the uh, gun out of a guy's hands at 30 yards, but uh doesn't practice <laughs> right. much with the bucket. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I. but the, the, the other charms, but I mean, I guess like we haven't even spoiled anything. We're just talking about in archetypes because I guess that's what this film is. The other thing is, I think um, in, a, in a similar way to Clint Eastwood, this movie is impeccably cast. Like sure. Hall looks like the long suffering every man of a mining colony. Uh, you know, we got the 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 um, uh, God damn it. Uh, Carrie Snodgrass looks like Sarah plain and tall, you know, uh, the deputy, the, the marshal and the deputies. Mm-hmm. This is like commando got wrong. Like they surrounded uh, Arnold with a bunch of other than Bill Duke, who is a certified badass. They yeah. surrounded them a bunch of like, I don't know, just dudes you find at the mall. 
when they, they, they gave every one of these deputies like a moment to look at their face and look at their, and they all had like, they're all visually interesting. And they all looked like dudes you wouldn't want to fuck with. And mm-hmm. I was even thinking as I seeing this is like, I honestly don't know how Clint is going to take all of these guys on. Like sure. it's fucking crazy. Um, but maybe he's a ghost. <laughs> maybe he's a ghost. Yeah. I could Do we have any other, out. like, I guess, non-spoiler things you want to talk about or. Well, I want to say like Richard Keel showing up in this Jaws uh mm. was a big shock to me i when i saw him I'm like wait jaws is in this he does not he does not strike me as the western type of guy um yeah. although i look i guess you'd probably get gigantic monster men in the west that probably <laughs> happens but like when he shows up i felt like he was from another movie Pro- probably because i just know him as jaws i literally just know him as jaws when he yeah. showed up on screen, I wasn't like, oh, that's Richard Keel, the man who played Jaws and James Bond. Like no, I was like, Leonard, oh, there's Jaws. It'd be like seeing Leonard Nimoy as Doc right. Holliday or something. Like, what the fuck is Spock doing? Totally. So that's probably just my own bias because my relationship with Richard Keel. But yeah, it was weird. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now, back with more Bald Move. Uh, okay, uh, I got lots more because like, I think there's some interesting themes uh, to explore. And there's also just some funny things I want to point out to film. Some awesome things I want to point out to film. We're going to do that in uh, uh, this, the spoiler section. Um, so if you haven't seen this movie and you want to see an all-time classic, this is a four out of four star, uh, star movie by Ebert's uh, Light. It's like 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's a little overrated, to be honest, after I've seen it now. Slightly. It's the first time I've seen it. I think it's slightly overrated, but it is a great example of a Clint Eastwood Western. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim and I are going to spoil the shit out of it right now. The concept, if you don't know, is there is a mining camp in California, in the mountains of California, in the gold rush period. What is that? The late uh, 1880s, 1980s century? I guess, 1880s. Yeah. Um, they're out there uh, trying to strike it rich. And meanwhile, a, a person that got out there 10 years ago and is as is, is super rich is buying up everybody's claim and using industrial kind of like fracking methods to just tear the mountains open and get the gold. Uh, and he wants to jump these fine people's claims and he's sending bullies and whatnot to hassle them. In steps Clint Eastwood as a preacher. A stranger blows into town, uh, saves one of the town, uh, the, the camp folk from getting beat up in town follows them and kind of gets entwined in their cause of standing between them and this kind of corrupt uh, miner who has uh, a marshal in his pocket and six crooked deputies. 
Uh, they're enforcing his evil will. Who's going to win? Is Clint Eastwood going to be able to save this mining town? Are they going to beat his ass, string him up, and run these good people out of the mountains? Mm. Uh, you'll you'll never guess. You'll never guess. You'll have to watch the movie to find out. Um, I, I want to start there. Like watching movies like this in the eighties and seventies, eighties and nineties that have like explicitly environmental causes made by someone who is deeply, deeply conservative, Clint Eastwood. And it's like, goddamn, it's the same. Like you know, like this movie is essentially like these guys are uh, quote unquote raping the earth to mm-hmm. maximize their profits. There's a less greedy way that will get you there, but you don't have to destroy the streams and pollute the waters. And you know, because again, it's it's not that making money is evil. It's just there's a right and wrong way to do it. Um, I, I it's and like um. That's like that's like a that, that, to me that says like someone like Clint Eastwood making that movie 1985 says that environmentalism was a very popular thing, and now yeah. we're in this age where it's like we're wondering like why do we even have the EPA? God damn, <laughs> god damn! Can anyone remember? Didn't one the Great Lakes catch on fire? Nah, nah, nah. That was bullshit. We don't need to, like it's this doesn't make you want to pull your hair out. Sure, yeah. I mean when you when you have. Uh... Oh, cities just saying, yeah, we don't need to uh, worry about lead in our waters. Uh, that's fine. People can drink that. No problem. It, it seems crazy. The microplastics are filling our oceans. Hey, haven't we been recycling plastics for like 20 years? And then like every city in North America go, you know, like, no, actually, you just put in yeah. landfills and flushing it down toilets and stuff. Um, no, it's, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Cause it's like, it's also like the imagery here is very much like, uh, Tolkien esque. Like this is very Saruman yeah. ripping down the forests and diverting the rivers and industrialization and just ugly, 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 uh, versus the pristine kind of living in harmony of, of, of nature. Um, I don't know, I thought that was, it, I didn't that, expect that in the mid eighties Western to, to be honest. Is that part of this idea that he might be, uh, one of the, four horsemen of the apocalypse that he might be death uh, because there's some kind of retribution for these people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I mean, the I think- four horsemen of the apocalypse is all about like God uh, essentially setting things straight again. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ruining so, those who've ruined the earth. There's a little yeah, bit. Of that so in he Bible. comes into town and, it's that, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's the four stonesmen of Captain Planet. Uh, Hull, his daughter, five, mom, yeah. and uh, what was what was the one guy that got the giant nugget? Worm. Oh, Whisker, Whistler, Pigfucker. I, I don't remember. Yeah, his I don't name. know. He's, some, he's somebody. Spider. 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 Okay. God, how do you get a name? You can't be a good, good, brave, honest man and get the name Spider. Somehow this guy did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I. This guy seems like the worst of of the people there, right? Like he's he's extremely focused on the gold, like more than the lifestyle. Because there's jealous, a scene, like he's very jealous, yeah, of that uh-huh. tiny nugget, and, and it's not a tiny nugget. That's actually a big nugget. That four ounces it's as he's big talking as his about. Head. Yeah. No, 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 not that nugget. That's an absurd nugget. That's oh, like, yeah, 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 the chicken nugget. Yeah, the little one that Hull finds. Um. That one is like a reasonably sized, good size nugget that's sure. worth a lot of money. The one that Spider finds is insane it's to, to the point where I'm like, 
oh this idiot he's got a gigantic nugget of pyrite that pyrite he's, yeah he's gonna take into town and the jeweler is gonna look at it or the goldsmith or whatever and say you idiot you're dumb i, I i'll give you zero dollars for this and he's gonna See, be all disappointed i thought Turns out so it's too. fucking real <laughs> I thought so, too, but I also thought had the thought of like I was looking at the prop and I'm like, am I supposed to think that this is one enormous gold nugget or am I supposed to think this is a hunk of rock that shot through with gold load? It's the latter. They say okay. it. They, 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 they do in a quick line. They they mentioned that it's, yeah, some aggregate okay. full of Cause like, nuggets. Because I'm, like, I'm like, I'm I, I thought the giant nugget. You said the chicken nugget strained my suspension of disbelief. Uh-huh. But I'm like, if they want me to think this bowling ball <laughs> as a fucking gold nugget you can pan for. I'm right. sorry. He, he has like rock of, Rockefeller wealth at this point. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but yeah, like uh, there's a couple points where the movie zigged when I thought it was going to zag because they kept on showing him like eyeing enviously everyone. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was going to be a turncloak. Yeah, me too. Instead, he was the Ferdinand, you know, Archduke Ferdinand of the whole situation. Yeah, he was the guy who was saying, nah, I, I want to stick around. I don't want this thousand dollar buyout. Um, I'm going to stick around and, and do this thing. And and he was in it for the gold. Right. And then, you know, Hole comes up and he's in it for some kind of lifestyle. I some kind of dignity. I didn't really get what his point was when he's yeah. talking people into not taking this buyout offer. Uh-huh. Uh, but maybe we can talk about that. I don't know. Do you want to move? Cause that's the other, again, this movie is made by a very conservative person. Uh, he's got a lot of critiques of um, this robber baron capitalism anyway, mm-hmm. where, you know, there's a lot of, um, like Clint Eastwood, like he keeps on saying stuff like, you know, staying organized and collected is the only way to defeat an evil or a powerful man. Mm-hmm. And that is a, a thing that runs throughout the movie because he's always saying that, like, you know, you've got to keep everybody together. Like, you know, there's a lot of like, OK, there's seven tough dudes. Well, there's 30 of us. I don't mm-hmm. know how tough they are. And Clint Eastwood was like, yeah. Um, but then at the end, the way he defeats the deputies is dividing them. Like yeah. they fan out and go alone. The exact same thing he told the guy. So it's like they have this thing about like you have to stay organized and collected to resist these powerful men. Um, mm-hmm. And also this guy who is using unfair business practices to like, you know, buy up upstream properties and dam up your stream so you can't pan for gold no more. Uh, not to mention just go sending tough dudes in there to just bust your shit up like mm-hmm. You why I got you wanted to talk about the economic situation or the 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 buyout he offered. I was I was setting oh, you up for that. Yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't understand why they don't take it. Honestly, um, th- there is a scene where Hull gives a very impassioned speech about why they came up here, and apparently it wasn't to find money. But I don't know that I understand his explanation of what it actually is. He, <laughs> he concludes by saying, "And what'll be the price for our dignity the next time?" And I don't know what dignity has to do with it. Well, I think he's saying that, like, if we this is like the last mountain that this guy hasn't ruined. And if we give it up, then he's going to ruin this one. And the other one is like Spider, I think, said, Hmm. look, if he's offering us a thousand, that Uh, means he's going to make five times this. Yeah, but the work involved, like how much is your time and your back worth, man? Well, I thought they did. I thought it was great that they actually had that debate where it's like, well, Uh, the way we do it, it's going to take 20 years to get that kind of money out. The way he'll do it, he can get it done in two weeks. It's mm -hmm. so. And then I thought they were going to do something with that where Megan goes over to the other camp, talks to mm -hmm. Carl, whatever his name is, uh, the pin brother. 
Yeah. And he explains their whole operation and how it Crispin. works. I thought she was going to take that back to their camp and they could start doing the same. But then that would go against the whole <laughs> ethos of the movie. Would... It, it turns it, out we just need to start. We just need to start desecrating the earth, guys. That's right? that's why the, the profit margins are not being met, met. Yeah, I honestly can't tell why she's there. So so if they don't do that, they're going to be stuck mining this thing for 20 years to get a thousand dollars worth of gold out of it. I I don't think it's worth the trade off. I don't think it's worth the trade-off. If the idea is, okay, they just want to protect this land, mm-hmm. then I guess, sure, don't sell it to the guy. Uh, but, yeah, I, I was not really understanding that scene very well. Well, because, like, that's the thing. is like, yeah, if this guy's going to offer us a thousand, it means the most worth five times. Sometimes they get you in trouble. Because sometimes uh-huh. someone's just trying to give uh, a buyout because they don't want, you know... Um, it's just like an like annoying thing to them or they're trying to solve a problem or they think they're giving you a fair market offer and you're like, well, if you're going to give me this, it must be worth twice that much. And they're like, yeah, okay, fuck you. I'm out. Like you can sometimes like, cause well, that's another thing is like, I'm this, not going to buy this you might, off for none the of amount. This pl- yeah. Like this is all speculative too. They had not, yes. this had not paid off at this point. Right. He didn't find the nugget as big as his head yet. Uh, or even the, I think the chicken nugget wasn't found until didn't, there is that what maybe right. gave him a little bit of grit maybe that's what gave him the quote-unquote sand yeah it could be uh, but i mean the, the idea that like oh it's worth five times that so what you're gonna go back to him and say give us five times that he's gonna say well if i do that there would be no profit in it for me so why would i ever yeah. uh and and just the idea of like they're going to spend their whole lives trying to get that money where they could get it right now and go buy another claim and do it somewhere else. Like protect that. But then land. this guy like, would come to and then like they, they also mentioned, I like the political angle that like La hoods was constantly worrying about Sacramento, the state government, like as like, Oh, they know they found that we're desecrating their mountains and they're going to outlaw this monitor mining yeah. operation. We got to get what to get. So like there's an idea of like, yeah, maybe that is the thing is you sell it for a thousand dollars, you go get another claim and then, you know, your way of doing things is going to be the only way moving forward. Take the, take uh, that maybe take a grand and go dollars. lobby Sacramento to shut down. That's that what shit, I was right? about to say. You <laughs> yeah. take it. Everyone pools a hundred dollars and you go lobby a couple of state senators and get that shit shut down and then buy yeah. it for pennies on the dollar when he can no longer use his fancy hydro fracking bullshit on you. Right. I don't know, man. Uh, yeah, I wasn't understanding the motivation to stay all that well, but I guess I guess it makes a certain amount of sense. What did you think about the club arc? Club is Jaws. Yeah, uh, it's he- a very quick arc. It's extraordinarily fast, like and and kind of nonsensical. So mm-hmm. so they bring Club in, like the the other the claim jumpers bring Club in to intimidate the the people on the good people on their claim and clint eastwood but hits him in the face with a sledgehammer hits him in the balls with a sledgehammer puts him on his horse and sends him on his way and then the next time you see him he like jumps in to to try and save clint right like they got a fast friendship over smashing this guy's balls with a sledgehammer well it's it's the it's the the way that and it's the way that clint eastwood's character was kind to this man and it's funny because (laughs) like smashing his we smashes his balls and it's like there you know it's kind of like uh in the movie get shorty where john travolta just like obliterates um who's the guy in sopranos james gandolfini james gandolfini's testicles and throws him down a staircase and at the bottom 
or same and, thing. And, no, yeah. yeah, and he's like, he's like, okay, breathe, put your head between. He's like, breathe, it's okay, it's gonna like you know. And then he's like, it, then he starts a conversation like, why are you working for this jerkwad? He's such an asshole, and you seem like you're a cool guy. It's that in hyperspeed, right? And it's that not without one the conversation. Act of, well, but then it's like they also keep on showing like club in the background of these guys like dynamite in their stream. And he's like, I don't know. Don't know if club agree with this. And then it's mm-hmm. like this, you know, Chris Penn starts rape trying to rape this 14 year old goal. Yeah. And I think club was waiting in there to stop them. Yes, he was. Cause he's Cause like he's saying, no, no, the whole club, time. not smart man, but he knows what assault is. And uh, there's <laughs> like that. And then, so it's like, now I think he's on, like, he's like, these guys, are morally reprehensible. Like mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood is making these essentially like Nazis so that his character can just slaughter an infinite na- amount of them in the final scene. And you're not going to feel bad, but like to the point where he saves his life at this. So I, I thought it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a four part thing and it worked pretty well. The thing is, it's not like the preacher's character is to be nice to everyone. He vanquishes. And I thought that it, the weakness of it and the reason it feels so artificial is because it's almost like they went back in the script and like, well, we want him to have this arc. So the preacher's going to like be nice to this guy in particular. So that will happen because mm-hmm. it's not like it every time he beats somebody, on. he gives him a thing of ice and says, hey, it's OK, mister. It's not, you know, he's he just beats him and is cool about it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's pretty early on, but he has beaten like five men. It, it, didn't, it didn't offer them any that. ice and aspirin no, and long no. tea, island iced teas. and Right. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It felt very artificial to me. Yeah. But what are you going to do? Got, uh, we got, uh, we got, we got uh, Richard Keel out of it. You know, another monster Richard Keel sure. performance. Uh, uh, I want to talk about his backstory. <laughs> um, okay. We've talked about him. We've kind of talked around him maybe being a ghost. Maybe we can talk more about that along with the the final scene or the final confrontation. But I want to talk about his background specifically. Uh, No pun intended, because he's been shot in the back like six times. Exactly six times. Yeah, he's got someone someone unloaded a whole wheel gun into him in the shape of the cylinder right yeah <laughs> it's like, and, and in the back i think it's clearly like you're supposed to understand that like you this is some yellow-bellied craven you know low down snake that shot him because he shot him in the back Dumped yeah the and, and this kind of lends um some credence to the idea that he might be a ghost because it's hard to imagine somebody in that time period surviving that wound yeah they blew his heart two yeah, holes in lungs. each lung and his spine out yeah yeah uh, and it's I, 18 it's the mid mid 19 you know late late 1890s 1880s yeah so in my eyes he might be just a vengeful ghost and when stockburn sees him he thought he had killed the man um it's that's pretty the evident other key. that's the other key the other thing is like i think a big piece of evidence is clint eastwood having dinner or a coffee in the general store or the uh-huh. whatever it is the coffee place the Starbucks. final confrontation yeah and his men are like, oh, he's there. He's got his back to do. And they 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 walk in and like this is a, in front of a huge picture window and start emptying in that spot. And he's just gone. Mm-hmm. Which I took it to being like he must have disappeared because it's not like he did the thing where he dives and flips the table over. And no, you know, they, they surely thought it's like, you know, like it's not like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando where he's like hiding in the rafters of the shed and he's going to come out with. You know, no, and, and one of the things they do, like you mentioned earlier, is 
his part of his uh, audio motif is those jangling spurs. Yeah. Uh-huh. And how you, uh, you know, dip, duck, dive, and dodge. What What is it from dodgeball? Dodge, dip, yeah. duck, dive, dodge. I don't know. Uh-huh. How uh-huh. you do that in jangling spurs without people realizing where you've gone is seemingly an impossibility to me. It 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 strikes me as supernatural. Yeah, no. And then the way he did it, like the end where he isolated those guys and knew where they're going to be every single time, almost to a comical degree. Because I think at uh-huh. one point he's hiding in a water trough. He is, I think so. And if the but, guy approaches from any angle, but the one he does, he's seen. So, like, I do think there is a right. bit of a, a wraith, a wraith aspect to this guy. And you wonder what he's seeing because it's shot from reverse. So you're seeing the guy mm-hmm. walk up to the foreground yes. uh-huh. with, with the water trough there, and then he aims his gun at something that we can't. They never show us. What is he aiming at? Right? What does he see? Right. That makes him aim. And then Clint Eastwood comes up with you know a pistol out of the water. But his arm is not wet. His gun is not wet. None of it feels like it should, like it's real, right? I thought, yeah. And I, I, I thought it. You might, you might. I, I. So, I thought it might be that you're supposed to understand he's behind the 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 trough. But I think no, you're supposed to understand he was in it. Yeah, because they give you an overhead shot of the. Trough and they just don't have. Right they just before. don't have the technology to make him like disappear into smoke and something. Like I feel like in a modern day, it would be a little bit more of a horror like western Maybe. thriller where this like you know he would actually his eyes would go red and he would dissolve in the mist or something i they'd make it a little bit more explicit in fact because like here's the the you know especially since he apparently was summoned by a little girl's earnest prayer uh-huh yeah he's the miracle uh, they've been looking for yeah she's 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 praying to god and saying you know i've almost given up faith in you because you say this and that and the other but you know are you even real and we need a hero we need a miracle and this guy appears he literally disappears as soon as his job is done without saying goodbye to anybody. He just blows out of town. Um, mm-hmm. And the only thing I can think of that says he's not a ghost is why the fuck does a ghost have to go to a Wells Fargo safety deposit box to get his guns out <laughs> and put his and put his preacher. So like there is yeah. an, I think there is a there is a suggestion that. He miraculous. Oh, the other thing is, I thought he looked about 20 years younger than the marshal. Like, I thought that they were also trying to tell you oh. the story that, like, these guys Could were old time rivals. He thought he killed them. And then Clint Eastwood has not aged since. Mm-hmm. But Possibly. you also could see that, like, this guy just got his lungs blown out, miraculously survived, nursed himself back to health. Yeah. And then decided to dedicate himself to God. And this kind of, like, was like some kind of cosmic kismet like just fate meant to beat situation of him avenging himself and standing up for these people all at the same time yeah i was, I was definitely getting more of the supernatural vibes uh, i was too and i actually like that, that's my i i think that's the thing that makes the movie make sense because otherwise it's a little bit if you don't if you don't go in that final confrontation at least thinking that he might be a ghost like that action sequence doesn't hold together nearly as well because it's just preposterous right. Right. It's like almost something like fucking Batman begins, except for there's no lights and grapple cables and smoke bombs and shit. He's just just disappearing and reappearing on the streets of this brightly lit high noon situation. Yeah. And I love that um, final moment with Stockburn because it it calls back to a previous moment with Coy LaHood where Clint Eastwood just flashes the most 
intense insane look i mean this is what he's known for right like the those crazy eyes. eye yes my god there, there's yeah it's terrifying when he gives that look and he does it twice in this movie mm-hmm. once to to koi who tells stockburn like he had this look in his eye that i've never seen yeah. before yeah stockburn's like i might have seen it and then uh-huh. all through that final confrontation they're like trying to get a look at his face right stockburn can't see Lahood asked him is that the guy that you're talking about and he's like well i couldn't see his face from here mm-hmm. and then at the end clint eastwood walks up to him and gives that look again and he's like oh my god it's the same guy how is this possible <laughs> right um which makes it feel like this is some supernatural force and then he just blows him away and it's yeah i i i can see why he has the reputation he has when he gives a look like that right yeah yeah, no, it's like it's uniquely Clint Eastwood to just um, effortlessly portray this like cool, calm, collected, in control guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just yeah, he, the, did, he doesn't even speak to him. He just walks no. up, gives him a look. Stockburn's like, "Oh shit," and he's dead. The one other thing that I wanted to discuss is Preacher's backstory. So, like I said, we don't get much, right? We get. The idea that he's been shot in the back by Stockburn at some point, um, and he possibly didn't die from it. Do you think he was ever a preacher, or is this some kind of cover? Is this is this something he wanted to be after his run-in with Stockburn? Is this something he's using as he wanders the earth trying to get his revenge? Is is because it, it strikes me as a man who was a gunslinger at one mm-hmm. time. Uh, he has his guns in his safety deposit box, but I don't know how you go from gunslinger to preacher in, in, in this fashion, right? Don't, I guess, I don't know. I assumed you had to go to some kind of school to become oh. an actual preacher, but I could I be wrong. Know. You don't have to go in to seminary. West, to... I don't think you had to go to law enforcement academy to be a marshal. And I don't think you had sure. to be, you know, like I, I, maybe if you're like a Roman Catholic mm-hmm. a parish, you had to have some yeah, kind of yeah. like, but like, That's I bet the terms like, I'm yeah, thinking in, like you, you could kill, you could kill you just put minister. on the collar, you put on a collar and boom. Yeah. You're a minister. Yeah. I got the like, impression that that was like a God makeshift identity. It could be. See, so like I had two theories. I had one, like he's a ghost. And then like, you know, this preacher is just kind of like the guys that heaven sent him back in. Uh, mm-hmm. He's some kind of venging angel. Um, the other one is that, yeah, he miraculously survived this event and it sobered him up and like, I can't keep living like this and I'm going to dedicate my life to God because it's a miracle. And he's reluctantly brought back when he's, you know, is, is, is overtaken by his past and to save these people's present. Um, yeah, hmm. I, either one of those, I guess, I guess. So you're saying that he was bent on vengeance and has been stalking this marshal. And he's approaching him as a minister to kind of like make sure he doesn't suspect them. Because why does he come into town? Yeah. Why does he show up, you know, here and now unless he's a miracle? But like, that's what I'm saying. Like the miracles just that solves so many things. The only thing you got to explain is why does a ghost need a safe deposit box? Like, (laughs) right. If he can manifest himself a whole body and shit so he can hug people and punch people in the nuts. Why can't he just. Well, you see See, uh, the thing is, Yahweh, when he work when he, when he works mystery, he can't make complex moving parts. He's right, essentially right. like a God, God's angels are like the T one thousand. 
They can make uh-huh. blunt stabbing objects and huggy arms, but what they can't do is make revolving cylinders and gunpowder. Or, or the, the T-800 when they come through the time portal, right? Like, yeah. they show up without any clothes, without any weapons, right. nothing. Right. It's all just... It's a limitation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's why that's why Adam was naked. God just he, that's he can mm-hmm. he can make he can make a human, but clothes mm. <laughs> wrapping a thing in a thing beyond beyond his power. Yeah. Uh, uh, All right. You wanted to talk about uh, Hull and yeah, I want to talk about uh, his not the, wife. the love quadrangle between mm-hmm. uh, m- mostly Sarah. I guess that's the mother's name and the preacher. Uh, because this seems like the one of the most pernicious friend zone, like deliberate enslaving of a good man, like horror story <laughs> that you could ever imagine. Like it's deliberate, it's calculated. She's even teehee, I want to have an affair with you just so I don't regret. It's like I, mm-hmm. I was just blown away watching this film. It's like God, is this what people really think? Because like the other thing is like Hulk could just stop doing it. He's been doing this for like fourteen years. He could just. He could just not, you know, mm-hmm. like, dude, she's not going to marry you, <laughs> you know, move your nugget operation on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it takes a uh, preacher writing in and changing who he is for her to see the value in him, I guess. Right. Does she? Because at the end of the movie, I don't think she's like it's it's like because um, Hull does have a few moments of triumph. Uh huh. Um, but she's not there to see them. You're right. They never revisit it. Yeah. She but just they never re- sleeps with yeah. the preacher before he leaves. And then that's where we leave them. Yeah. But we know Hull's a change man. So I, I assume Hull goes back and is like, Does well, she I'm in charge sleep now. With them or do they scared. just kiss? Do they actually sleep I together? I think they sleep together. I, I got that in implication too. And I'm like, oh my God, you have not watered this man for 14 years and this one badass stranger, the alpha male comes into town and now mm-hmm. you're it's like, this is pretty gross. This has been pretty, pretty, pretty wild stuff, you know? Uh, yeah, I think it's weird. It's like, you know, quadrangle is wild. And they just make Hull out to be this, this poor, like the whole movie, he just gets beaten up and showed up and and kind of like you know like when her daughter is like are you ever going to marry this and like sarah's like uh lol no or as words that's you know it's 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 just i don't know i feel like uh this is a movie for men and this is <laughs> propaganda you know because it upholds like hull is a really good guy like even clint eastwood this alpha male is like this is the best man you can find Mm-hmm. But he's in this weird, shitty friend zone cut type situation. And what she really deep down wants is a real man like Clint Eastwood. Right, right. But a real man like Clint Eastwood's going to leave her because he's either a uh-huh. ghost or that's just the way he is. He's a bad boy. He's uncaged. He can't be tense. What she really wants. And the, ah, uh, ah, uh, the pudgy <laughs> balding, ah, uh, took taking two years to bust her up. Uh, uh. Like he's he's good enough to take his paycheck and but like I don't know I just found that like it's the one truly regressive thing in the movie because otherwise the movie does like uh there's no no other kind of not even any racism I don't I don't think there's a black person in this film uh but the the gender politics yeah. were fucking whack in this movie sure sure and then you have you know ch- child and and what I have to assume is like a forty five-year-old man uh relationships although to his credit you know he he puts the kibosh on that whole thing immediately but like 
boy, that that scene, that scene with Megan, I I couldn't help but just laugh out loud at it. Like it's yeah. such a, it just shows the immaturity of this person. It, it feels realistic, right? Like this kid who gets an infatuation for this stranger who comes into town and thinks she's gonna marry him falls in love with him professes her love says i love yeah. you it's a school and he's like school girl, uh, girl crush ch- ch- chill out but yeah this, this is an infatuation at best uh you'll be over me as soon as you meet a guy your age uh because <laughs> like you're in a camp full of people older and and yeah. uglier and, and all kinds of things full than of me. fucking yosemite sams and foghorn <laughs> leghorns man i right <laughs> go into town meet a nice guy uh exactly but I just couldn't have a laugh out loud. And then when she immediately turns on a dime, he like rebuffs her in the gentlest way possible. Sure. And she's like, fine. I hope you die. I hope your insides come out your ass. And it's crazy, man. Hope you die of ass cancer and you go to hell. Yeah. I think she actually did damn him to hell. She does. Yeah. What? It's just what an idiot child, right? This tantrum she's throwing because she can't get what she wants. But it's I felt also, like it was a realistic portrayal of a kid trying to deal with emotions that are unrequited. I think it's cool when works of fiction sometimes try to model like how you deal with a inappropriate crush. Like, yeah, I really yeah. admired the movie Rushmore for that because I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. that woman handled that with like grace and dignity. She didn't crush anybody. I always think it's because like, you know, if like yeah. you're. If you're a reasonably attractive and put together person that has to deal with younger people, you know, which means if you have kids, if you're a te- you, you're going, this is inevitable. This is going to happen when you one day and like feel like society's in like got this whole like the, the, the one the one sour moment when he's giving her this speech is he's like, you know, 99 guys out of 100 to be like, fuck, yeah, the 14 year old. And I'm not like that's kind of gross because he's she's mm-hmm. essentially saying like this is a normal thing. And it's OK. Instead yeah. of being like, well. Hey, it's just inappropriate, but I do like it when movies try to model this because it kind of undercuts because I, I think society's double like it gives gives you two messages on this. Like it's like, um, you know, this is like an, you know, like uh, this is so fucking awesome. This young, hot girl is into you and like you're really tempted. And how can you possibly say no? Right. Uh, right. like, I like it when the hero is actually like, no, this is you, this can't happen. And it like shuts it down like completely. And there's none of that. Um, so yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like it's not particularly well done, but I appreciate that they did it. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing that gets me is, you know, just how immature this child is, right? About the whole yeah. situation, which is expected of a child. Yeah, she's and a child she's, after all. Yeah, she's very mer- mer- mercurial. It's one of the very many reasons it would, would not be a great idea for them to get yeah. married. Whereas in Rushmore, it's like <laughs> sort of the opposite, right? You've got this this kid who wants to be very mature and in some ways is and in other ways is just a kid and i think it's yes it, it's that's why it's way that more interesting really in that movie than it is here but because because people that agree because people that tend to take advantage of children do it like and that's the thing that they tell themselves oh this person is so mature oh this person right, is right. so much like oh it's like it's it's okay it'd be you know like a normal 15 year old sure but like they're wise behind their ears and that's mm-hmm. exactly the situation rushmore and they and i like i was super uncomfortable i think i said that in reviews <laughs> like Holy yeah. fuck, I don't know where this is going. Because it could be like, what was that fucking licorice pizza this year, last year? Blew my fucking mind. Where they had a, like a canonically 24-year-old woman who I think in real life is in her 30s have a 
relationship that you're kind of rooting for with a 15 year old boy. I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. That movie is made. I got in a little uncomfortable in uh, almost famous as well in that regard. Yeah. That was another <laughs> one where it's like, and it's semi autobiographical, which it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. I'm just like, okay. We all sure, realize this is all fucked, right? This is a, this is a right, crazy right. But it's, it's filmed through that nostalgia lens and it's like, uh, Okay. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. And now, back with more Bald Move. But uh, I actually had a lot more, like, the the whole situation of Mother, I thought, was, like, that's just, man, that's just designed to make you hate women. Yeah. Uh, I did think it would be hilariously ironic if Megan had wished him into existence, and then when she professed her love, he was like, all right, I'm out. I gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> drove away in the same stroke, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to talk about some of the old-timey phrases. Okay. Uh, at one point, what is the name? La Hoy? Is that, was that his name? La Hood. La Hood calls Clint Eastwood's preacher character. He goes, you're, you're nothing but bad cess and giant letters spread from here to Sacramento. Bad cess. I don't cess. understand it. I looked into that and I can't, I guess the most popular etymology is it some kind of like Irish uh, phrase uh, lamenting the, uh, what do you call that? Assessments that the English would levy on them for taxes. You know, okay. like it's a, it's a, wow, it's that's... a shortened corruption form of that. And it's like bad cess and he's probably some kind of, well, I, I don't know. He's got like a French name, but you know, things are confusing there. And, uh, mm-hmm. back then I thought that was funny and then like Spider is just a fucking collection of them he calls yeah <laughs> La, he calls La Hood a skunk's bottom a uh-huh. creepy legged lizard uh, I just love it yeah these are uh, I don't know they're funny insults childish insults uh, I, I have questions about I guess the, the fate of this whole situation after the movie is over because like if you think about what just happened here you had this big time strip mining operation uh where you know you had a lot of people working for them and uh they probably bought a lot of equipment spent a lot of money in town on their cafe meals uh did the banking did the message sending back to La Hood. Um, yeah, they essentially supported that town with their funds. Clint Eastwood drove him out of town, uh-huh. shut down the whole blew up the whole operation. I think he just doomed this entire town, right? Like, <laughs> I don't think or... that the, the claim that's panning for gold with, you know, $80 worth of uh, debt that they've accrued over years of panning is going to be able to support a cafe and a post office and all of these different things. I think his town is just going to shrivel and die. You think Carbon Valley, which will be renamed in the early 20th century to Silicon Valley, is going to go bankrupt, Jim? What? Is that where no, we're I supposed just, no. to be? <laughs> I, just, I just made a joke because it's called Carbon Valley, and I'm like, okay. okay, isn't Silicon like a couple atomic weights up or down the chart from sure, there? Sure, distant upgraded. cousin, yeah. Yeah, it's upgraded. Gotcha. It turns out there's a lot more money in the sand than was ever in the gold. Uh, no, I wonder. So I, I give this a little bit of thought, right? Cause like on mm-hmm. the surface, 
This is a well-connected, well-moneyed dude that just got his not not yeah. just ran out of business, got murdered, killed mm-hmm. along with a sworn marshal. Like, I don't think he's not a marshal. I think he's a corrupt yeah, yeah. marshal. And these like what? 30 some dudes that just own a claim like, oh, well, this uh, this stranger came into town, did all this and we're the beneficiaries <laughs> of it. Uh-huh. But I I because the, the, there is this this crucial scene. Where uh, the, the what the hood has come back from Sacramento and he's essentially telling the boys like he struck out all the politicians have turned against him. Mm-hmm. They're all telling him that he's going to be run out of business. And they're like, so like, I wonder if he will be seen. You're supposed to understand the full story of the movie is like this guy's kind of a political pariah and no one's going to ask too many questions. That makes sense. Yeah. Like this guy's like kind of cur- like we don't even like him in government. He is destroying the mountains. He's probably taken a lot more out of town. And you're supposed to say that like now these honest, hardworking folk are going to be building up the town, quote unquote. Right. I don't know. That's what I got out of it. Anyway. With what, though? Because with all their gold money, like apparently you. Apparently breaking that rock just changed everything. That guy was right. I guess there was a gold. There's a gold <laughs> vein down there from here to creation. Like, can we? Yeah, I guess also, if you're supposed to understand that. Sure. Can we talk about a man? Going out. Every morning with a sledgehammer and mm-hmm. busting again. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't a big rock. This guy's but it, it. The rock wasn't bigger than he was. Huh? Like I expect a re an able-bodied man if you give him a sledgehammer and seven hundred some odd working days to do it, he's gonna bust a rock that's about the size of a wheelbarrow. If he yeah, thinks but, all the gold yeah. in the world is down there, this guy what? doesn't doesn't deserve the gold. Think, dude, work smarter, not harder. You have horses, you have ropes. You think the gold is under this rock? Just pull the rock, dislodge it, man. Don't. You don't have to bust it into gravel to get at the gold underneath. Yeah, that just pull the rock out of the way with your horses. That too. It's like there's there is a there is a line between panning and dynamiting, right? And Uh you know, hooking a couple mules to it. (laughs) Plus, I don't know if you noticed this is stuff that I noticed in all the backgrounds of the shootouts. The mules in this town are the hardest fucking mules in North America. They sure are. Uh, a fucking stick of dynamite can go off six feet from them. They don't blink. They blink less than like all this gunfire. These donkeys are just chilling in the background. These are hardcore yeah. Hollywood donkeys that went Stun through donkeys. the golden era of the Westerns. Their pulse doesn't raise a bit when you have gunfire like the horses. Yep. Are, these these donkeys are just chilling and drinking coffee and eating craft services in the background. It's incredible. <laughs> But but the dogs that they get to sit on the train platform as it approaches are scared <laughs> off by the steam that's coming for them, right? They're like, oh, shit, I got to get out of here. Thank you yeah. for mentioning the dog. Because. Oh, my God. I kept on thinking. I kept on giving the. the, the I, I think that for its time, when I think about what they were doing on Commando and some of the, the action movies of the 80s, I thought the blood and squib work was pretty pedestrian in mm-hmm. this movie. But the real tragedy uh, at the very beginning of the movie, uh, these guys, these ruffians come through and murder this girl's grandpa and dog. Mm -hmm. And she comes across this dog and it's the worst prosthetic dog I've ever. It's like something they do as a joke in Saturday Night Live. I think Clint Eastwood did this taxidermy himself. 
That's what I think. Happened. You think they started the real animal? I think they took maybe they took a dirty mop that they found in the in the closet, cut the handle off, and said, "Hey, girl, cr- cr- cradle this. We're yeah. going to have them. Do- we're going to have those people crying." Like, no, it 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 was it was is the worst is the worst. Uh, like you didn't of- have you didn't have to run the the uh, the 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 ASCP or whatever statement at the end. It's like no. Animals yeah, were harmed in the make because there was no. Yeah, no, we get it. It was just a ball. It was a ball of yarn, dude. You didn't kill yeah. a dog. We get it. No, <laughs> no one this, was under the illusion you killed a dog. This movie has the worst, bar none, dead prosthetic animals I've ever seen. Because there's also a snake in this movie that's supposed to be a dead snake, and yeah. and some guy walks up to Clint Eastwood like with a knife in its mouth, picking at it. I don't know what it is, but this snake is petrified i don't know is this a fossilized like snake because it is spear straight like it is a, it's a straight snake <laughs> that uh-huh. he, he's holding it by like the neck air neck what's what's a fucking neck on a snake right near the head and <laughs> the tail is 95 percent neck it turns out <laughs> i know and, and the stick the rest of the snake's body is just sticking straight out straight out from him at a 90 degree angle it looks so ridiculous it's obviously this wooden snake in, in the hot in the hot sun. Yeah, maybe no, that's they, it. Maybe he steam. Maybe he smoked it. Though those props, it. those props. I, I don't. I don't know about that. The prop specifically the dead bad. animal. Yeah, yeah. Props. They're bad. Okay, I got. I got like one more thing I want to talk about. Um, and I think this is. I don't know what this movie was like in 1985 in terms of action because I've seen some 1980s action movies and it's mm-hmm. definitely slower paced and not as gonzo. But there's this like clearly they want you to be impressed by Clint Eastwood's gun. It's got this detachable cylinder so you can quick reload it. You don't have to put in the bullets mm-hmm. one at a time. But I was surprised at how slow the fast reload was. Like, I, I feel yeah. like if this movie is made in 2022, Clint Eastwood would practice to where he could get that thing done in like a half of a second. Right. You know, like they're like you can almost reload a wheel gun bullet by bullet faster than him. You know, taking out the cylinder, putting the cylinder back in his belt, taking the cylinder out, doing the lever, but anything, putting the pin, doing the lever. Like, it's like, wow, this is an incredibly slow and languid fast reload. Yeah. And they want you to be impressed by it, but whatever. Have you, have you played any video games with active reload? Have you seen that? Where, like, uh, instead no. of just like hitting a button, you have to do like a gesture to. Oh, to you have to do different reloads, like a fucking quick yeah. time scene. No. That's what it feels like interesting to me uh and, and they haven't reloaded in opportune times too he's walking up to stockburn after he's murdered his six deputies and he's reloading as as he gets closer and closer he's reloading i don't know why stockburn just doesn't unload while he's got no cylinder in his gun i thought the same thing yeah like why he's is waiting he to see so if this is the guy this. that i remember but why why wouldn't you just smoke right? him and then kick him kick kick, kick his hat off and see it is yeah. also I don't think we mentioned this, uh, but they are pretty explicit that the shot pattern that Clint Eastwood puts into the 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 Marshall mast exactly. Yeah, totally. And he doesn't. Anyway, that front. was my thing. So, yeah, he does uh, it right to it. Yeah, not by not in the back. You son of although I always think it's like these are like 45 caliber. I surely they're going through. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, the stranger might have been shot. Or the preacher the might front. have been shot in the front too. Yeah, we yeah. just don't and ever see exit it. wounds. Okay, uh-huh. I wasn't sure because like I thought that was my impression too that he's shot in the back versus shot in the front. Dishonorable, mm-hmm. cowardly versus honorable. Of course, because it's such but, a trope, right? 
Yeah. Right. But like, yeah, I was thinking like, yeah, surely to God, these things would at this range just blow right through you. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, at a range where you could put six in a cylinder shape into somebody. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. They're, they're supernaturally good with guns. I look at that where he's up on the ridge and he shoots the gun out of Chris Penn's hand. Oh, yeah. And then like, shoots his hand like that. Uh-huh. So. You know, with the uh, the other thing about the in the back theory is and him being a ghost is he sets he baits them into their death by putting his back to them. Right. Like uh-huh. he lures them in by counting on them being cowards. So like they're Yeah, I actually. Yeah, I, I think 100 percent you're supposed to intuit that he got shot in the back. And, and I think part of that, too, is not letting Stockburn see his face until the moment that he gets up there. Right. right. He, he wants to preserve that moment. So that Stockburn can't identify him until it's too late. Right. So that really worked. Uh, oh, did he I, put six? Did he put six in the Stockburn's chest and one in the head? Because if so, that's kind of case closed on him being a ghost. Seven that's a bullet six cylinder. Shot gun and he put seven. <laughs> Holy fuck. Mm. When I watch this again, I'm going to that's I, I'm going to have to see. Yeah, was it five in the five in the body, five in the chest, one in the head? Maybe the the Clint definitely had six, so maybe it's not the exact same pattern. One of those statements that we just made is false. I want I want to give people advice. It's a logic Um, puzzle. (laughs) I don't know if I want to make this an official bald move rule because it probably probably doesn't apply anymore. But if you are out panning for gold in the rugged west, sure, and you strike a, a vein of gold. And pull a nugget as big as your head out of the ground. Don't go flashing it in town. Don't take it. I don't care how much you want to stick it to your rival. This guy is a fucking idiot. He is asking to get killed and have that nugget taken from him. Because this is no shit. This is hundreds. This is a he can retire on this money. He never has to work a day in his life. He's rich. Yeah. He he is a very wealthy man at that point. Let me ask you this. Because I thought this that that whole thing was like at odds with the message of the film of everyone needs to pull together and be collective and organized. Uh-huh. Why the, the fuck are all these people working the same creek? Why can you fish a nugget the size of your head out right, right next to the person and be like, this is mine. This nugget mine. I My nugget. Uh-huh. Like what? I thought what? that when he pulled the four ounce. The small I thought the out. same I was like, thing. Well, I'm like, oh, they're going to right. Everyone's going to be excited. And they kind of were. But because they're all but like. That would suck to be the one guy who's been yeah. panning just as long as everybody, and you just happen not to get one. Like that's uh-huh. insane. It seems this like this is you not should... how Gold Rush Alaska or whatever works, right? They're well, all splitting that gold. They they yeah. each have their own take, and some of them have more of a take because they yeah. own the claim or they've worked yeah. there longer or whatever. But yeah, you split the money that come the gold that comes off your claim. Yeah, they they tried to point to make that point out to Clint. It's like, hey, you know, the whole ethos of the movie is that these guys should form like some kind of union to protect uh-huh. themselves from being preyed <laughs> on by rich people. And in this, like, you know, maybe they would share in that. No, it's not, that's it. You're preaching communism. Like, yeah, right. Then that, that that's like, I mean, that come on. It's fire still... was entitled to that nugget as big as his head. It is still the he worked hard for that visualist uh, Wild West. I mean. Yeah. It's not like crazy here, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I thought for sure somebody would mention that. It would be a problem or it'd be a schism between the miners, but no, 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 nobody, nobody had a problem with that. It, it, the one other thing is in that scene where he takes this gold nugget in town and he's flashing around and then Stockburn makes him dance. I was wondering, and I don't know if you have any uh, historical insight into this. 
is this movie the inspiration for all of the make them dance scenes that Surely I've seen in not. a thousand other movies? Or is this inspired many, by other movies? As many that have done tropes it? as I saw this movie echo, I, I think that this is just like um, th- this is a like a definitive Western at the end of the Westerns. You know, like this, like Westerns were already uh, yeah, seen yeah. as like this. Like Unforgiven is even later. Old timey, old, uh, yeah, old, yeah. yeah. Now it's like every five years you're allowed to make a Western. Um, <laughs> only if you're Clint Eastwood, though. Only yeah. if you're Clint Eastwood. Yeah, you have a connection to Clint Eastwood. Yeah. But um, I yeah, uh, I got because like, man, when I was talking about Shane, it's like there's even a scene in Shane where Shane is the gunfighter. The mysterious gunfighters blows into town to like stand up for the, the family in, in this movie. And their dad tackled a stump that's been in Paw's field for all these years. And he's had to plow around and it's taken up valuable. And, and him and Shane just put their backs and their shovels and axe to it over an afternoon and <laughs> nice. just like bond over that. And I'm like, when they came out of this big boulder, I'm like, oh, my fucking Shane. This is still. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, well, they didn't uh, have a Jaws. They just did it with hard work. It's R-rated gender bent Shane, except for they didn't gender bend Shane. They gender bent the boy who loves Shane. Gotcha. Which is the movie's this movie's probably one of his biggest question mark missteps. Uh, mm-hmm. That's all I got to say about here. This year, Pale Rider. Pretty solid yeah. Western. Glad I saw it. Uh, up next on uh, Bald Move Prestige is The Perfect Storm. George Clooney. And is it Marky Mark? Is it Mark Wahlberg? I believe so. Yeah. Plot a course right into the middle of like five hurricanes. In the Atlantic Ocean, are they gonna are they are they gonna save themselves? Are they gonna be the perfect storm? Or their will their romance be a one for the ages? Tune in next week to find out. <laughs> have you seen this movie? Because no, I've seen this movie I like haven't. two or three times. You haven't? No, I'm super curious about it though. We're in for a treat. The perfect storm next week. See you guys then. <laughs>